0: Did you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 Films You Have To See Before You Die. They pop up every once in a while. But tell the truth, how many have you actually seen?
1: These movies are so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture through references and homages that you'd be forgiven for thinking that you'd actually seen them.
0: So why not join me, Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry and even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films.
1: And me, Joel, a man who likes films a lot, but is constantly described by his friends as overly anal and picky. But I'll let you decide.
0: Each week, we will break down and review a different film, from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces.
1: Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated, bloated rubbish? Let's find out as this week we discuss The Grand Budapest Hotel.
0: This is a 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. The Grand Budapest Hotel, the 2014 film directed by Wes Anderson.
1: So I won't lie, I thought we were watching The Very Best Marigold Hotel.
0: The best exotic know, Marigold hotel.
1: That's the one. That's the Badger. I was expecting to see Dame Judy Dench and Dame Maggie Smith. When this started up, I was like, what is going on? Where's, where's Judy? Because
0: <laughs> this starts weird. <laughs> yeah. And then stays weird.
1: Yeah, it does. In... I, I will say, the most original film we've watched on the podcast so far.
0: Abs. It's got. Uh, yeah. Um.
1: Totally unique.
0: But I'm saying that with the outlook of someone who's grown up in the world that we've grown up in. Yeah. I think it's very rare that, still in, I mean, this came out in 2014, but in 2014 that a film this original came out. Like, we've probably watched films that were ridiculously original when they first came out, but now are just, Charlie, they're just old to us. And they've and, been copied a million times
1: and I've seen another Wes Anderson film so I I'd kind of heard mumblings around all Wes Anderson's films being the same these are two very different films
0: okay that's interesting yeah because this is
1: to Moonrise Kingdom
0: I'm ashamed to say the first Wes Anderson film I've seen and I don't think I've seen another one I had to scan down his filmography and it was just a lot of things I didn't understand.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moonrise Kingdom is a strange film. It's all right. It's all right. I think it's he, a strange film. I
0: think this film is also strange.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. so very I, different ways.
0: So I think he's got a niche. Because um, this is a very distinct style.
1: Oh, very. Very. And I think the way he films shots... the the aggressive camera work is in both movies.
0: But they are so visually stimulating. Yes. And, like, symmetrical. And I just... I loved watching this film. Like, that's not a commentary on the plot or anything. Just watching it visually in my eye holes. I enjoyed this.
1: Yes, I'd agree. I'd agree. It was... There's something. The aesthetic was satisfying, wasn't it?
0: That's exactly the word. Yeah, it was satisfying. It was. There's. We've watched films that I've enjoyed, but there's films when I I I drift because I'm like, this isn't offering me anything new. Yes. This was offering me new stuff, and <laughs> yeah. there was minute little details and nuances in the back of shot where this might be. The only film we've watched where I didn't look away once.
1: Yes, I'm the same.
0: Like, normally you look around your room or something. I was like, fixated. Blink you miss it. It is literally blink and you miss it.
1: This is not a film you can watch whilst checking your phone. It's not
0: a Sunday watch, is it? It's an engaged watch. But, yes. That isn't laborsome. Like, if you're hearing this going, oh, well, I don't. No, you no, will no. enjoy watching this film. It is a nice film to watch. You might not understand what the hell's going on, but it's yeah. lovely to watch.
1: The cast. So I think it is a thing that people want to be in a Wes Anderson film.
0: Yeah. It's it's an interesting one, because yes, it's got this sort of expansive cast. I think a lot of them are relegated to cameos. And that's all they really are. They're glorified yeah. cameos. But, like, the small time they're on screen, they have a huge impact on you.
1: Oh, it's good, though. It's very good. Tony Revolori's first proper movie credit. Yeah. What do I recognise him from? Spider-Man. That's He's it.
0: Flash. He is Flash in Spider-Man.
1: What a start. Oh. He's great in this.
0: And you can see why... His career has gone on. Jumped up,
1: yeah. So, Rafe Fines also standout out performance in this. God, he shines, doesn't he?
0: Absolutely. Good Lord.
1: He is so good. Although, he's been good in everything I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah, I in.
0: can't possibly name a bad film. Um, he chews like, up the scenery, he is amazing. Should we go on with the plot? In a cemetery in the former nation of Zbroka, a young woman visits the shrine of a renowned writer, known simply as Author, reading his most cherished book, The Grand Budapest Hotel. The book, written in 1985, recounts his 1968 vacation at the once grand, now drab, hotel. There, he meets its owner, Zero Mustafa, who at dinner tells him his rags-to-riches story.
1: So one thing I noticed about this film straight away. Is it just me or is there something with the sound design that made everyone's voices sound extra good?
0: I don't know, I didn't really pick up on that. Didn't you? It sounded good. Yeah. Um
1: I thought the sound design was like really good. Or that could just be coming off of we watched Rocky last week.
0: But yeah, we're watching a film that is got fifty years more sort of sound technology behind it Uh, and techniques have evolved. ADR is probably a lot easier to do now and sounds a lot better. This has got a $25 million budget and Rocky had less than a million. So you can imagine there was a,
1: a big old
0: chunk probably put towards sound.
1: And to be fair, all of the actors in this had great voices. Like All of them could read... A novel.
0: Okay. I, I could sit and listen to Jude Law read me any book, anytime, anywhere. Mm. It's perfectly cast. Mm. It's really, really, really good. Um, I noticed as well that it opened on a sort of title card that set your monitor to 16 by 9 Yeah. And that's because the aspect ratio bounces around in this film, which I really liked which you may not have noticed.
1: I did. I did notice the 16 by 9, but I didn't notice it going back to widescreen.
0: Yeah, so as we... Because this is a story within a story within a story within a story that sort of bounces around in time. Um, So whenever you're in a certain time period, the aspect ratio matches the time period that you're in. So, there's
1: too much. There's too much to look at on screen to notice that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's like if you're in the 30s, you've got a four by three image as was typical for cinema at that point. Yeah. And then when you go to the 80s, you go to like a two thirty five one cinemascope, which is like got the narrow top. And then when you go modern day 2014, mm-hmm. um, you go to like sixteen by nine. It's a it's a cool little detail that you might not pick up on but it yes. it really 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 I find helps set the scene.
1: Yes. It was it was just a pleasure on the eyes wasn't it?
0: Just a visual treat.
1: I will say this first sort of 10 minutes you are going what is going on? It is beyond odd Wes Anderson filmmaking. The first 10
0: minutes, yeah. You think you don't know what's going on, but then the moment the voiceover starts, yeah, yeah. Once you figure out it's a story within a story within a story within a story, and you get like a flashback to a flashback to a flashback, it settles down a little bit, and you realize you just got to get comfy and just enjoy it what did, you're about to see.
1: It didn't have me hooked in until this next bit of plot.
0: In 1932, Zero is the newly hired lobby boy at the prestigious Grand Budapest Hotel. Monsieur Gustave H., the hotel's prestigious concierge, seduces old, wealthy clients, including the 84-year-old dowager Madame D., with whom he has had a nearly two-decade-long affair. She mysteriously dies a month after her last hotel visit. Gustave and Zero visit Madame's Schloss Lutz estate where they encounter surviving relatives for the reading of her will by her attorney, Deputy Vilmus Kovacs. Kovacs announces a recent amendment to the will which bequeaths Boy With An Apple, a priceless renaissance painting, to Gustav. Madame D's son, Dimitri, is outraged and demands Gustav's arrest. Gustav and Zero leave, absconding with the painting, hiding it within a safe within the Grand Budapest.
1: So. Introduction to Ray Fiennes and Tony Reveoli's, uh characters. Both of them just bounce off each other so well in this film. It's... Ray Fiennes straight away outshines everybody on screen.
0: Yeah, you, it's very similar to sort of to Catch a Thief, where you you come right into it. Stories well, like these characters don't need any setting up. You know he's a concierge, yeah.
1: All the parts are already moving, but I think that's because it's it is a hotel. It's something that we understand,
0: yeah, which is really good. But you get sort of Tony Ravioli coming into the scene, and you just assume he's been there the whole time, and then it's not yes. until it settles down a little bit that Gustav turns to him and goes, "Who the hell are you? Like, who, who, who are you?" <laughs> And it's choose it, it choose up the scenery, choose up every scene he's in.
1: It's brilliant. Um, it's this film has a weird bounce between something you want to watch with your mum to grotesque. It is to violent at times.
0: Oddly, and it bounces
1: oof. everywhere.
0: It's oddly vulgar, isn't it?
1: Yes, it, vulgar is perfect way of saying it.
0: Like. I think it's, the it's only thing...
1: with a veneer over it, isn't it? It,
0: it? The only thing they're not showing you is a sex scene. And they yeah. heavily allude to them.
1: Yes. It's like... It's quite wh- a grotty film. It, yeah, <laughs> a little bit <laughs>
0: seedy. A little bit... Very seedy. Makes you just want to go, Ooh. Very seedy.
1: But it's... But it gets away with it with a charm.
0: It gets it's away like, with it. Because, and they... It, they say it at the end of the film, but it's like... The world that Gustave lives in is over and had been Mm -hmm. for quite some time. So it's this act. He's putting on this act of a glamorous sort of hotel concierge because he's been doing this job for like 40 years and this is the way he was trained and this is the person who trained him was trained. It's sort of a bygone era. And he... Throughout the film, I think, not lets his guard down, but the veil slips, and he's like, Oh, bugger it, I don't care. And it's like he he lets the axe down, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, he wants, he wants with all his will to be this grandiose, glamorous concierge, when in fact, he's just a seedy little human, isn't he?
1: Yeah. And the way they parallel him to like a bishop of the church or something with his sermons and (laughs) everything like that.
0: But that's all stuff that he himself has implemented. That's how he wants to be presented as this sort of holier-than-thou character.
1: Yeah, the the saviour of the hotel industry.
0: Yeah, or specifically the Grand Budapest. Something that is, it's his life, it's... Everything about this hotel is him. It's his personality. It's it is him. He is the Grand Budapest Hotel, and the Grand Budapest Hotel is him.
1: And ah, uh, just little details. This is the film of little details that I really enjoyed. That that whole scene where they come to the the funeral uh, part. Uh, the way he keeps on picking up the old lady's hand. And then, when no, as soon as no one's looking, throws it back down quite violently. It
0: is—it's that illusion, like when people are watching him, when people are seeing the character that he's creating, he's all for it. But in private, he's just—he just got a thing for older ladies, has not he?
1: <laughs> yes, the state quote. Oh, <laughs>
0: do you want to say it?
1: Yeah, mm, I've had older. When you're young, it's all fill at stake. But as the years go by, you have to move on to the cheaper cuts.
0: <laughs> <Just laughs> it, horrendous. It's horrendous, but you know exactly what he means. You, <laughs> it's such a great... Oh, it's brilliant. It's written in such a way that you can easily gloss over it. But with a little bit of thought, you go, oh, that's awful. That is yeah.
1: That is awful. And then in the same like two minutes, you have him putting his life on the line for zero to save him from from the police.
0: Oh well, because although like the police
1: racism and war SS or whatever it's
0: it's where. it's the Nazi party, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. Nazi party without. It's like it was written as the Nazi party, and then. Wes Anderson went, yeah, but I don't want to cover my set in swastikas, so let's just fictionalise them slightly. But yeah.
1: Oh, really? Because I was wondering.
0: I think so. I don't think they were real at all. No. Because it was. It looks. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. That's the feeling I got. It was sort of. This is set in a fictional sort of. fictional world, yeah. But it's very heavily sort of influenced I, by I just, Eastern they, Europe.
1: And Gustav just completely ignores the war. The entire film.
0: Yeah, because it's ridiculous. it doesn't but, exist in his hotel.
1: Yes, yes, it, so it, it doesn't exist. You, belie-
0: you almost... When he gets on that train, I get the influence that he has not left that hotel in years.
1: No, yeah. He doesn't know what's going on in the outside world. So, right, then we get to the scene with the family. And two people steal the show here. Just Willem Dafoe, he doesn't even say anything. He doesn't have to. (laughs) Just that that outfit. (laughs)
0: Willem Dafoe could appear in a silent film and could convey everything that he conveys anyway. Does he even speak in this film?
1: I don't know, actually.
0: I'm trying to think if he actually ever says anything. I don't think he does.
1: I'm not sure he does.
0: I think it's all, like,
1: silent <laughs> acting. performance.
0: It's just this intimidating also, character.
1: Right. So this is the least Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum's ever been in a film. Or is it a film weird enough that Jeff... Goldblum's just brought to his normal level. I
0: think this is a film that's so weird and out there that Jeff Goldblum is the most sane person in a room <laughs> I think Jeff Goldblum is the exact same Jeff Goldblum but because he's in Jeff- this wacky set with wacky costumes and wacky colours and miniatures
1: Jeff Goldblum playing the, the straight man in this just that killed me. But it's
0: genius it, it is a genius piece of casting that you get the most out-there man to play, of the straight man.
1: Yeah, the lawyer. Oh. <laughs>
0: so, so good. Gustav is later arrested by Inspector Henkels under the suspicion of Madame D's murder. He befriends a gang during his imprisonment and provides them with pastries from Mendel's, a well-known bakery. One day, one of Gustav's cellmates, Ludwig, tells Gustav and the rest of the prisoners about his deep knowledge of the prison and how to exploit its weaknesses to escape, namely, via a storm-drained sewage system. Gustave is then convinced to join the prison break. Gustave has Zero place hammers, chisels and saw blades inside pastries made by Agatha, an apprentice baker at Mendel's and Zero's fiancée. Because the pastries from Mendel's are well-known works of art, the guard who was in charge of checking outside the foods for the contraband is unable to bring himself to break open the pastries to check the contents, enabling the pastries to pass through the security check.
1: I loved the prison scene. That him, Gustav, one of my favourite scenes in this is Gustav, Going along with the slop, going, anyone for slop needs a bit of salt, but it's not bad.
0: I've seen this before. Have you? In Paddington. This whole scene gives me Paddington vibes. Okay. And I don't want to say Paddington ripped this off. I think Paddington ripped this off.
1: Quite possibly. You don't call it a ripping off and Sorry, just, sorry, I don't want like to say that. Paddington Homage.
0: homaged this film that came out four years <laughs> before it. But I think Paddington's got a few things to answer for. Uh, yeah. it, there's a very similar and I'm like, just visually in my head I was going, this is Paddington, I'm sure this is Paddington. Everything about it, and maybe it's just a out there eccentric prison. But it's like, the same but different, if that makes sense.
1: Yes. Like, and I just love that it doesn't seem to phase Gustave at all. He's still trying to become the manager of the prison, even though he's a prisoner.
0: It's an instant need to progress higher, isn't it? Yeah, He is practically the highest you can be at the hotel. So he's coming at ground level and he's gone. It's like an everything in his being is like you need to progress and win people over and obviously it's all an act that he's doing but it's like he needs to be the most well liked person in a place
1: Well, and and his desire for everything to be proper and just so
0: exactly exactly Um, appearance by (laughs) Harvey Keitel yeah, <laughs> as a bald, tattooed, yeah, brilliant, just another great actor, chewing up the little scenes that he's in.
1: Yeah, just the little scenes, and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, they're, they're more than cameos, but less than roles, aren't they?
0: Exactly, exactly. They
1: don't. Also, the just the <laughs> the the whole bit with the throat slitter. <laughs> where they like pass the throat slitter to cut the pastries. Those pastries look
0: <laughs> good, though, don't they? They do. It's just oh.
1: The way they keep on referring to this shiv as the throat slitter. I mean, it sort
0: of goes back to that
1: <laughs> oddly so
0: sort odd. of grotesque, seedy sort of...
1: Yeah, undertones. It's, I um, think it's... With this veneer on top. Yeah,
0: it's the hearing that dialogue... By these characters in a quirky, well lit. It's, it's not. It fits in perfectly with the prison. It's normal dialogue. But hearing these characters say it, dressed the way they are, acting the way they are, with sort of a chirpy, happy go lucky sort of like characterisation, it, it just it stands out in a weird way and yeah. makes you feel weird
1: and they still feel like hardened criminals but they they're like wrapped around gustav's finger into acting a bit like him it doesn't feel like slapstick if you know what i mean
0: it's so difficult to describe without just telling people that they have to go and watch it um, you should go watch it you should absolutely go and watch this film it's unique it is so unique. it is absolutely one of a kind it's one of the only films I've ever seen like this. During the process of escaping, Gustave and the convicts stumble upon a group of guards, secretly gambling during the night. Gunther, one of the escape party, is able to kill them all with a shiv, but loses his life in the process. In the end, the rest of the group manages to escape and disperse. When Zero and Gustave are reunited... They set out to prove Gustave's innocence, with the assistance of a fraternity of concierges known as the Society of the Crossed Keys. They learn that Madame D had a missing second will, which would only take effect had she been murdered. Dimitri's hired assassin, JG Jopling's trails their whereabouts, murdering Kovacs, Madame D's butler, Serge X, and Serge X's sister. Following a chase, Zero pushes Jopling off a cliff to save Gustave and the two men continue their escape from the swarming of the broken troops led by Henkels.
1: God, so much happens in this section. There's so much good little bits of dialogue. And there's like, I particularly enjoy the bit where they're sitting on top of the hay bale and just kind of do a summary of where everybody's at and who everyone is for the audience. Which ends with Zero saying he's confused. <laughs> like, zero is so meta.
0: Yeah, zero is a weird audience surrogate, isn't he? Yeah, um, because there isn't actually that. Like, there isn't actually a lot of story here.
1: No, but it's all character stuff, isn't it? Everything's character. Like this whole that that plot summary is just completely crossed over. The lovely little character story of Zero and Agatha getting together. It's just, and the yeah. banter between... It's just
0: conversations, Gustav isn't there?
1: ...Gustave and stuff. And the- Gustave mentoring Zero, growing his love of poetry, making him higher educated, making him uh, more proficient at everything. And teaching him life, life lessons. Yeah,
0: it is a great sort of apprentice, mentor sort of story here. But a lot of it that, isn't remotely related to the plot. There's, there's it's lot enjoyable. Yeah, there's lots of cute, really enjoyable story, but it isn't part of the story. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> That's because it's a story within a story it, within a story. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It's...
0: It's not at all hard to follow. Um, It's very A to B to C to D. And it's very clear how they get to where they are and where they're going and setting that all up. But yeah, it's almost like, here's a very loose, simple story I've got, but I'm going to make it the most visually stimulating, overwhelming thing you've ever seen in your life to distract you from that point.
1: And we get loads of scenes at this point as well where they're travelling and they'll go to the background of the shot and then it's almost like a puppet show
0: yeah look you know what I, mean. I know exactly what you mean yeah it, there's like depth in like you're almost watching a punch and Judy sort running, of thing
1: yeah all the running becomes really over exaggerated and
0: but it sort of switches doesn't silly. it from live action to stop motion Yeah, because there's a lot of like stop motion set pieces, which actually look astounding. But it fits in with the aesthetic of this film so well. They put the care and the attention to matching the live action sets to the miniatures and you believe that these miniature scenes happened in the real world if that makes sense or like the real world is actually a part of this miniature you don't ever believe that this is a real place no you believe it's this fantastical storybook world. storybook world but then that gets really dark because you've got these Nazi-esque characters and grotty dialogue, and it's like weirdly grounding itself, but in a way that, when it happens, it makes you feel a little bit.
1: Blech. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Jeff Goldblum's fingers going off.
0: Wasn't at all expecting that. <laughs> no, that makes is so much. Yeah. That
1: was such such a good chase scene through the with the loud footsteps on those big wooden floors going through the museum. That was just silent movie making for like 5 minutes and had so much atmosphere and so much tension even though nothing was said. It was all just lighting and sound and brilliant
0: and then yeah he gets the door slammed on his hands and all his fingers fall off
1: fingers pop off rather than fall off
0: and the, but then they've got that really funny beat when they find his body and they take his fingerprints and you see his yeah oh you just, just you see thumb. his prints just his <laughs> <as> done <laughs> Gustave, Zero and Agatha arrive back at the Grand Budapest to find it converted into military headquarters following the outbreak of war. Agatha sneaks in to retrieve Boy with Apple, but is spotted with the painting by Dimitri. Gustave and Zero rush to save Agatha from harm as she flees from Dimitri. He shoots at them and triggers a shootout with the broken troops, which Henkel stops. Agatha's attempt to escape leaves her and Zero hanging from a balcony before safely falling into the van of pastries in which they came. I really liked the shootout part. When yes, it's just... It was very silly. They just... Everyone joins in, going, oh, I don't know who we're shooting at, but I'll join in. And they're all just firing at each other, but no one gets hit. And <laughs> yeah,
1: because they're all using tidy little pistols.
0: <laughs> like the ones they sleep with for protection. Um, yeah. and you've got sort of that this is where you're introduced to Owen Wilson's character um, and he's just got the great lines where he's like oh well Herr Schmidt would like to sleep in a south facing room and, and and Ingalls is arriving a day early so uh, let's upgrade him to this suite and it's just like normal hotel talk but for Nazis, Nazis. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's really weird, but not out of not out of like the realms of impossibilities with this yeah. film.
1: But it's it's got the the feeling that the whole film has of well, business will continue at the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, don't don't stop for anything. Yeah, d- That's doesn't that matter, matter stop, if there's an like,
0: occupation. Yeah, yeah, and like not now I'm understanding why it isn't the Nazi Party. Because how do you make the Nazi party look quirky and charming? Oh, you don't. Um, yeah. So let's make it fictional. and Yes, it just makes it easier. Suddenly it, it makes sense. Makes... <laughs> Madame D's second will, which states Gustave as the beneficiary of her fortune, is found attached to the back of Boy With Apple. He succeeds her as the owner of the Grand Budapest Hotel and becomes one of the wealthiest, the Brokens. He travels by train with the newlywed Zero and Agatha to celebrate, before encountering hostile soldiers that destroy Zero's refugee documents. Gustav tries to fend off the soldiers, but is killed. Zero inherits his fortune and maintains the Grand Budapest Hotel in the memory of Agatha, who died of Prussian grip with their infant son.
1: Weirdly sad ending. Very weirdly. weirdly sad.
0: Weirdly sad, presented in a very quirky, happy-go-lucky way.
1: I, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's quite an emotional ending because really, like, there's so many, there's too many details to talk about in this film, but it does build up to quite a caring relationship between Gustav and Zero. Well, and that he really cares about Zero and Agatha.
0: His death comes as a callback, doesn't it? You see it earlier on when they're first stopped on the train. But that time it's like they haven't been occupied yet. And Gustave's still got this sort of cockiness to him where he's like, I can talk my way out of any situation. Um, This boy is travelling with me. He is with me. And the only reason he actually gets out of that situation is because he he knows someone. He knew. Yes. Um, what was his name? Which is
1: how he always would get out of situations. It, it's how
0: a concierge deals with it. It's the connections. It's the network that he's got. Um,
1: like the Cross Keys you know, The like.
0: Cross Keys network. However, this time, he's trying to do it to the Nazi party who are invading this country. And it doesn't go well. And it's not like you see it. You see it up to a point... And they hit him and Zero. And then you get a flash forward back to Jude Law's narrator, just talking to the older Zero. And he goes, well, what, what happened to Gustave?" And they go, oh, they shot him. Like He died. It's it sort of, it's it's not got that emotional <laughs> like it was, beat. It was coming.
1: You knew <laughs> like, it was coming. You're, go, you're going. Well, that's
0: interesting. Coming. I wonder how he gets out of it. Oh, he didn't. He was shot. Um, yeah. yeah. Um. But like Zero was still fine; he wasn't kicked out of the country. Um, slight plot hole there. If they ripped up his sort of as they're based on the Nazi Party, they have this like.
1: Oh no! See, I I saw that as because Gustav goes on about how he used to be the best, the best lobby boy there was until until Zero. So my assumption there is zero talked himself out of it. Yeah, because he was he was better than Gustavo.
0: That would like, have been nice to see though. Um,
1: oh, I, how I, you talk I yourself. Mind it, it's. I don't mind in little bits of plot at the end of films not all being wrapped up neat and tidy. I like being able to.
0: If you know, think beyond, if me. it was in any other film, I think I'd have an issue with it. But this film yeah. charmed the pants off me so much. I'm willing to turn a blind eye to it. And then you get the other emotional gut punch that Agatha dies. It's like, yeah, she had brushing gripe and our son died. Yeah. Yeah. They'd cure it now in a week, but back then, nope. And it's like, oh, my God. Is he allowed to be happy? Um, Yeah. Or is this sort of like a... Karma level makes
1: sense. So because he's inheriting Gustave's mantle, so he can only have the hotel. Yeah, because that's all Gustave had. Really, was the hotel.
0: Uh, what I a... So
1: it's, again, it's just coming full circle, isn't it? It's
0: closing all the ends off. Yeah,
1: but the but the world has moved on from Gustave's world, as they say in the film. Yeah,
0: the the world that Gustave was trying to replicate ended a long time ago, even before Gustave came to the hotel. Yeah. It's a it's a weird sort of note to end on because it's like people shouldn't tr- I don't know what it's trying to say. Is it saying you should so- try and sort of glorify the past and
1: I don't think it's trying to say anything. I think it's just a story. It's just a uh, I think <laughs> In some ways it's a deep film and in some other ways it's a shallow film. It's it's a weird one. It doesn't fit a box.
0: Doesn't, does it? I can imagine in years to come. Box.
1: It doesn't fit classic storytelling.
0: People will analyze this in years to come.
1: Um Yeah. Yeah. I loved this film. I really loved <laughs> I this really, film.
0: I really, really, really loved it. It's like Odd to say that after one viewing, this might be one of my top ten films ever. I
1: that's quite quite a statement. Really, really liked it. I really loved this film. I really
0: liked it. It's up there. It just it was so beautiful,
1: but gross. But
0: gross.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But fine, like. Nothing too far. It never went too far.
0: It, no, not at all.
1: You wouldn't watch it with your grandma, with your granny.
0: No. Oh, I reckon you would. I reckon it's funny enough. I reckon it's, it's, I reckon it's just heads it's and stuff. just vulgar enough. When you go, oh dear. But I, I think it's still <laughs> charming and sort of. Yeah, we old people that are our age ones uh, like yeah, they, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's pre- yeah. It's presented as that sort of the glorious old days. Oh, what a what a nice film though. Even though it is vulgar, and I didn't even check the certificate of this.
1: No, neither did I.
0: But oh, loved it. It,
1: and I won't lie. A lot of the films we've been watching the fo- of the podcast have been these epics and stuff. This was really refreshing.
0: Yeah, this is really. I mean, two very good films back to back here. Week like Rocky and this, vastly different films, but both sort of end with. Uh, it's quite it's funny, isn't it? One's quite happy go lucky, and then has a little bit of a depressing background, uh, a little bit of a depressing ending. And then the other's sort of a little bit depressing the entire time and then ends on a high. Um, sort of polar yeah. opposites of each other, but very similar, if that makes sense. Should we do scores on the doors?
1: I'm going to give it a nine. A nine? Nine out of ten. I think
0: I'm also going to give it a nine. I think... Any issue... I have is made up in my own brain and like it yes it's a little bit vulgar but it fits in the way of this world and I wouldn't change it because it makes this it makes the character of Gustave so interesting without sort of it gives him layers without explaining those layers it just makes him feel real. And, like, everyone puts on an act in public. You might think you don't, but I think everyone puts on some sort of veil and doesn't show their true self 100%. And yes. it's just... It's so real, whilst also being so out there and eccentric and bizarre. I absolutely loved it. I
1: uh, It was... I've been back and forth in whether to give it a nine or not as well because we're essentially doing movie reviews with this podcast and with reviews and reviewing art as this as movies are really you have to be consistent you have to be consistent with your reviews so if somebody say if you say you really don't like film or you really do like film you have to Know that that person's point of view and how they review things to understand what that means to yourself as a listener. And I was worried about giving this a 9 because I could see it as quite, it's very, very artsy and it could be very polarizing for people. I think I could give it a 9 and somebody else could easily give it a 2. I could totally see that. So I was a bit worried about giving a nine, but then I had to really look at myself and say, "Which what what films have I enjoyed the most whilst doing this podcast? And we're pitting this as number two. And I think it deserves number two.
0: Yeah, I agree with you.
1: So to put it in context, Whiplash is our favourite film so far. 9.25. Save It, private Ryan is joint number two. With the Grand Budapest Hotel.
0: Yeah. All three films are are very different. But are all films that made me feel. It's like a checkbox. Everything that I enjoy is in these three films. If I had to describe my film personality. It would be OCD and a little bit bipolar like these three films. Very different. But to me, very similar in in my enjoyment of them.
1: Well, and you could add to that as well with another two film, uh, another two films that I know you love, being about time and pride. Yeah, exactly. Which again, very different to all those They're three. All very
0: that? different, but they are oddly similar in the way that they make you feel, and yes. sort of, yeah.
1: They're all very deserving of that nine nine bracket.
0: Absolutely. And I may never give a film a 10. Because I genuinely don't know what warrants a 10 out of 10. But I know when I see it, I'll know.
1: I could give three movies a 10. Go on. But it's the collection of the three, which Lord of the Rings.
0: Even I wouldn't give that a 10 out of 10. Oh, I love- love it too they're much good, they would also be a nine for me
1: they're cultural yeah to me
0: this film might be close though but I loved it and I'm probably going to continue to love this film for the rest of my life uh, this film was nominated for nine academy awards uh, best picture best director best original screenplay best cinematography best film editing and one for best original score best production design Best Makeup and hair styling, and Best Costume Design. All worthy of winning.
1: Mmm. Right then. Next week we're watching Goodfellas, aren't we?
0: Goodfellas. I hope it's about some Goodfellas.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I would do the outro, but you won't stop bloody flirting with me. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank
0: you very much for listening to this episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. You can subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice or follow us on Insta at 1001 Movies Not Seen Pod. We have new episodes every Thursday. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. I do like the cheaper cut meat sometimes.